You're listening to the Promise Church's message of the week. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Pastor Jonathan. For more information about who we are, please visit us at thepromisechurch.com. Lord, we set our hearts, our attention on you. God, we're here for you. Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us today in your word. Holy Spirit, help us to see Jesus. Let us encounter him today. Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts. Make us more like Jesus. Lord, come and make us a people that you can live with. Lord, come and make us a people that you can entrust more of yourself with. God, we just want you. We give you all praise. We give you all glory and honor. You're so worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to jump into the scripture this morning uh, in in time of prayer and preparation for for this week. Uh, Just really have felt the Lord remind me of things to remind all of us of. To really, the things I'm going to share with you today, you might have heard us preach on multiple times. You may have heard preached multiple times. You may have... Um, this might be very familiar for some of you, but I, I'm believing and I'm asking the Lord to make it fresh for you today and for you to uh, be stirred with more hunger for more of Jesus, to not grow comfortable or complacent or satisfied with where you're at, but to hunger for more of the Lord. What was, what, our worship time today was incredible. His presence was here. Pastor Luke did an amazing job exhorting us and reminding us of what it's about. And today in this message, it's not going to be very different than that. And so I want to encourage us with this thought. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19, and it says this, You, say me, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Uh, last Sunday was an incredible Sunday. I hope all of you were here. If not, you're able to watch uh, online what took place. And we celebrated last Sunday seven years, the last seven years of what God has done as, we, as, we've, as a team began to lead this church. And if you didn't know, our church has existed much longer than seven years. It started in 1977 where a group of people are meeting in a home group and the Holy Spirit divinely fell on them and they began to speak in other tongues. And the church they were a part of at that time did not believe in that. And so they waited upon the Lord of what they should do with what took place in their lives. But they knew that they had touched, been touched by the Lord. And they knew what had happened was real. And they knew that this was what God wanted for them. And they could could confirm that in Acts chapter 2 about what happened on the day of Pentecost. If you didn't know, today is Pentecost Sunday. Our church was birthed by a move of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit continues to want to move today and in your life and through your life. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost wasn't just one day in history? that birthed the church, and then all of a sudden all those things ended when we got the Bible. No, that's false teaching. The Holy Spirit is for today. He's alive. He moves today. He baptizes. He fills. He sustains. He empowers so that we live like Jesus. If Jesus told his disciples, who were with him for three and a half years, hey, you need to wait before you go and be my witnesses so that you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you can be effective witnesses, I think if they needed it, we need it. If Jesus waited 30 years before he did any miracles, before he preached any sermons, before he did any teaching of any kind, he waited until the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and was filled with the Holy Spirit, if He waited. How much more do you think we need the Holy Spirit today to live like Jesus, to be his witnesses? It's not just for a moment. It's for eternity until he returns. 
And so our church was birthed in a move of the Holy Spirit. And over these last, over these last couple of weeks and thinking about what God has done over these last seven years, I began to remember different things. And I, I, re, I remember, you know, where we've been, where we're at, where we're going, where, what God is doing, things like Longview happening and all these amazing things that are, that are coming. And, and I was reminded by the Lord what, where we started and to not change the subject. Our, when we, we shared this last week, that when we began to pastor, the Lord made it very clear, just make it about me. Just make it about me. And we, we started that first Sunday with washing feet and following the model and example of our leader, Jesus. And we began to preach messages week after week about who Jesus is. And just brought truth upon truth of who Jesus is. And I feel the leading of the Lord to remind us, church, to never change the subject. There is nothing else to talk about. We started with a desire to be a people of the presence of God, to have his presence, to be in his presence, a desire to know Jesus more and to take him and give him away to our city and to the region and to see this region transformed by the gospel. And that hasn't changed in our hearts. It must continue to grow in our hearts. Two years ago, we really felt like the Lord actually invited us, invited us in a way to go very much more after him, to go deeper into him. And the Lord moved powerfully uh, over these last couple years in, the, in these amazing moments of his presence that was unlike the previous years before that. And I, I feel that same invitation from the Lord as of late to go deeper to not go comf- grow comfortable, to not be satisfied, but to go deeper in him. There is more. There is so much more. And I, even in the midst of celebration, even in the midst of remembering and honoring the Lord and honoring others for what he has done, I feel this urge, I feel this, nece- this necessity, uh, Lord help me talk today, this necessity to take the cross and to place it dead center in our hearts and in this place to say, we aren't moving on from this. And that we need to deny ourselves and follow our leader who set the example for us by going low and taking up his cross and we must do the same. It's not easy. It's not always fun. It's painful. But this is where he's wanting us to go. This is where the more is. I thought about moments that are very fond and dear to my heart, moments over these last few years where God showed up. I remember Super Bowl Sunday of 2020, a month, about a month before COVID hit and shut everything down. And we just came in. It was a, it was a normal Sunday. Well, I, I would say it's, it wasn't a normal Sunday because we had just come off a three-week fast as a church throughout January. And we come into this first Sunday of February, Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm, I'm sure half of the room, all they were thinking about was the party that was going to come later. And we come in, and, it, and during second service, like God just took over the room took over the meeting. I don't know if any of you remember this, but we worshiped to like 2, 2.15. And this was before we started second service at 11.30. And we basically had to be like, all right, y'all need us to go home because the worship team's tired. Praise God. It was incredible. It was amazing. I remember even about two months ago on March 14th here, it was a baptism Sunday. Scott was preaching. It, it, It was an amazing time. And the worship time in that second service just exploded. We couldn't end worship and generosity burst forth and two people got radically blessed in their finances. And then people got saved. People encountered the Lord, got set free. These moments of highlights that God does in us are amazing. We should treasure them. We should remember them. And they're a great blessing from the Lord, but they're also a test. They're a test to see if we will be hungry and thirsty for nothing else or if we will want that all the time or if we will just move on and be casual like, oh, that was nice and just go throughout our week like everything's normal or come to church the next week and be like, you know, okay, I'm going to church or if we'll be like, no, this is what I'm living for and what I'm after all the time, every day. When I wake up at 5 a.m., this is all that I'm after. When God shows up, it's a test to see if he can trust us with more of himself. A couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, in the evening, a couple of weeks ago, I felt like the Lord spoke to me to wake up early the next morning 
and to go to our Longview campus building to spend my time alone with the Lord there instead of at my house. And so I was like, all right. So I got up early, drove to Longview. We had just purchased the building maybe a month, less than a month prior, came in and spent time alone with the Lord there and just brought my little Bluetooth speaker and was worshiping God and praying. And I I don't know what kind of came over me, but I just remember being in a moment where I was like, Lord, why are we here? Why are you bringing us here? There's so many other churches here. Uh, Lord, I know the need is great here, but why us? God, what's going on? What are you looking for? What are you wanting? What, what are you wanting from us? What are you wanting us to be here that's, that's unique or different? What, what are you looking for in us here? Just kind of pouring my heart out, just asking these questions. And I, I hear, heard the Lord very clearly and distinctly. He's like, I'm just looking for a church that will love me. That will make it about me. He's just looking for a people church that will love him. That's all he's after. I'm telling you, there's so much more he has for us. And if we will not change the subject, if we will lace up our bootstraps, so to speak, and we will deny ourselves and run harder after him, we'll never be the same. This region will continue to never be the same. And here we read in this passage of scripture that I open with in Ephesians chapter 2, what God is wanting in his church. He's wanting his church built on his son, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, that he is the foundation. And he is wanting his church to be a place where he can dwell with his spirit. This is what he's after. And we've been on this journey, as I said, for the last couple years of God. We don't want to be a, visit, be a place that you visit. We want to be a habitation. God, we, we want to be a people that you will stay with, that you will live with. God, what does it look like? What are you looking for in a people that you can dwell with? And, and we began to, to go into different areas and different topics, and we, we've preached on them, we've shared on them. And, and as of recent you know, times, we felt like the Lord has led us to shift the core values here at the Promised Church to these things that, that he is looking for in a people, that we would be a people here at the Promised Church that are a people of his presence. It is, God is looking for a place where that is marked by his presence, a place where his manifest presence can be. Because did you know that the presence of God is everywhere? The presence of God is in the bars, in the strip clubs, it's in the dark alleys, it's in the ghetto, it's everywhere. The omnipresence of God is everywhere. He is everywhere all at the same time. But his manifest presence, the tangible, evident presence of God is not everywhere all at the same time. He chooses where he would like to manifest his presence. And a lot of it is based on the people and what they will do to steward it and receive it and what they will do with it. And so we've been on this place of saying, God, make us this people. Let this be our heartbeat. Make this be our lifestyle. And so what these things, these core values are, I'm just going to remind you of them. You've heard them before, but I just want to reiterate them again. The first one is first love. Jesus is looking for a people that will walk in first love. This is the desire of Jesus, for him to be the one that we love first and most. He said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, you have great teaching, you have great discipline, you have great perseverance, you don't tolerate wickedness and false teaching, but I have this one thing against you. You have forgotten, you have left first love. And he tells them to repent. He tells them to remember from where they came from. Remember what took place in their life when they began to be in love with Jesus. We should never leave this place. We must stay in this place of first love. If we have first love, all these other ones I'm about to share with you will begin to take place in our lives and have effect in us. The next one is hunger. Hunger is the passion of Jesus. You can't be hungry for Jesus unless he fills you with the hunger inside of him for himself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those that are hungry for God. For theirs is the kingdom. We can never be satisfied with where we are, but press in for more. 
pressing for more. The next one is holiness. Holiness is the nature of Jesus. This is who he is above all else. He is holy. And he invites us to, to be in his nature. Everything that we've been preaching on, everything that we communicate always will line up with usually one of these values. It's going to be birthed out of these values. We're going to be a church that raises a standard for righteousness. We're going to be a church that talks about holiness and isn't intimidated about it. We're not going to tolerate sin. We're going to love people, but not tolerate sin. And Jesus invites us into a place of holiness. He says, be holy as I am holy. He says in in 2 Peter chapter 1, you've been given all that you need for life and godliness. You lack nothing to live a life of righteousness and holiness. It's a free gift that you receive in him that you have the opportunity to walk out. God isn't looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to surrender your heart fully to the Lord, yield to him and allow him to mold you and shape you to be more like him. And as you do, you'll become more like him in holiness. Number four is humility. Humility is the heart of Jesus. Jesus had one opportunity to describe himself for who he was and how he is. And he said, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. For I am meek and humble in heart. And if you come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. Jesus is humble. Above all else, he des- described himself as humble. He could have said, I'm powerful. He could have said, I'm mighty. He could have said, I'm miraculous. He could have said, I'm king. No, he said, I'm humble. And if you're humble, you'll be teachable. If you're humble yourself before the Lord, God will do amazing things in your life. If you're humble, you'll be hungry. If you're humble, you'll walk in holiness. If you're humble, you'll walk in this next one, which is honor. Honor is the culture of Jesus. We want to be a people that honor the Lord first and foremost, and that we honor him with what he's given us, with whatever he's blessed us with, our our time, our talents, our resources. God wants us to be honoring to him. And then in that, to honor others, those in our cities, those in our region, those in our lives all around us, our leaders, to be a people that walk in honor. This is what God is looking for in us. Is that review for you, I hope? Amen? Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 13. All right, for the sake of time, I'm just going to jump in. It's going to be on your screen, and you'll get there, and you'll catch up with me. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He's simply saying, who do people say that I am? Because Jesus is the son of man. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter Answered, you are the Messiah or the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood or by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it or will not prevail. What's happening here in this moment? If you do your homework and you look at the the city of Caesarea Philippi, it's in the most northern region of Israel. In fact, it's even considered to be Gentile territory. And here in this city, there was a temple to the Greek god of Pan. And I know there's maybe some young ears in the room, but this was like the most pagan of all pagan territories you can imagine at that time in this region. Here at this temple... They, they would have all kinds of public displays of paganism, all kinds of public displays of sexual immorality, all kinds of public displays of terrible things, the killing of babies, bestiality, you name it. It was happening here in this city at the temple right here. So I just want to say this. If you're freaked out, about what's happening in our world today. You're freaked out about what's happening in America. You're freaked out about what's going on and the sin and immorality that's going on. Put your eyes on Jesus because it's been happening for thousands of years. 
Humanity has not changed, and the solution has not changed. It's still Jesus. So, he takes the boys, the 12 disciples are with Jesus, and he takes them to this place, and as they're on their way, he's like, who do people say I am? And Peter has this divine moment of revelation where God downloads to him who Jesus really is. I I believe that they maybe at moments had glimpses of it. At moments they really believed this. But here in this moment, it it was evident. And God spoke through Peter here in this moment. He said, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. Peter, in this in this uh, passage, the Greek word means pet, is petros, which means small rock or detached rock. And he, but he says, but on this rock, which is a different Greek word, which is petra, which is large rock or a bedrock, a foundation. On this, the foundation of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, I will build my church. Let me ask you, who's the one building the church? Jesus. And as it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Jesus is building his church. On what? On who? Himself. And he said, on this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, will not stand a chance, will not be able to uphold the advancing nature of who I am as Jesus the Christ. The Jews were forbidden to go to this place where this temple was in Caesarea Philippi and they actually would call it the gates of hell. So Jesus is basically like, hey, all this terrible stuff that's going on here, all this evil, all this witchcraft, all this stuff that you see here, hey, guess what? Don't worry about it. It doesn't stand a chance. It will not hold up. Because what happened when Jesus died? He went through into the center of the earth and he plundered the underworld. He plundered the gates of hell and he destroyed it. And he took the keys. And now he is the one who has all authority and all power and all dominion. Jesus is the one who is to build his church. Jesus is the one on which the church is meant to be built. It's meant to be about him, built on him, and built for him. And built by him. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The church isn't meant to be built on talents, gifts, spiritual gifts, presentation, marketing, social media. It's meant to be built on who Jesus is. Hear me, I'm not against these things. We we do social media. We want to be excellent in what we do. But it's not built on that. It's built on him and his presence. When people come to church, when people come to this church, They should not see a strategy. They should not see a presentation. They should not hear a song. They should not hear a sermon and have a nice service. They should experience the Son of God, Jesus. They should come in and say, Jesus is there. The church is not meant to be a building or a business or an organization. It's meant to be a house of God where his presence dwells with the people of God and people come and are drawn in because of his presence. What did Jesus say? He says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We aren't in this to build a big church, to have a bunch of people. We're not in this for ourselves. We're not even in this for you. We're in this for him. And how was Jesus exalted? How was he lifted up? He went on the cross. He went low. He went low. And we can't desire to be exalted, so then we'll go low. That, that won't work. Just let you know that. You can't be like, okay, I'll go low so I'm exalted. No, that, that doesn't work. You'll, you will never actually go low if that's the motive, and then when you try to go low, you'll die. In the wrong way, probably. But if you really say, Jesus, I don't care about all this stuff. I just want you. You're all I'm after. I'm going low. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to deny myself. 
then all of a sudden God comes and meets you there. You see, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit so that his spirit could dwell in the hearts of every believer. So that you, all of you, would be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we collectively come together and gather, we become a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit because we're all bringing him with us as well. And when we actually live a life where he is the Lord and we live a life where he is our foundation for our lives, our individual lives, where he's the chief cornerstone on which our life is built, then all of a sudden we come into a place together and it's explosive because the manifest presence of God shows up because he knows there's a people that are hungry for him. There's a people that are in love with him. There's a people whose lives are built on him. There's a people whose lives, all they want is him. This must be our cry. This must be where we're at when where we're going and not change and not deviate. You see, a house, a house is built, it's not built for itself. A house is not about itself. A house is about the one who it's for. A house is about the one who's going to dwell inside of it. And we want him to be the one that dwells here. And he's making us into a house he can dwell in. In order for Christ to be the one who builds his church and the one who dwells in it, it must be about him. You see, this church isn't built on a man or a bond, on a people or on a team. This church isn't built on a message, a theme, a subject, an idea. It's built on the man, the God-man, Jesus. And if we have our lives built in this way, if we have the church as we are built in this way, no principality, no power, no demonic spirit will stand in the way when God builds his church and leads us. And as we go and take more territory, as we go into the land the Lord leads us, we cannot lose sight of this here, in our hearts, or anywhere else. This must be a heart's cry. But it all starts with this question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am because if you see Jesus rightly, you'll want to have your life built on him. If you see Jesus rightly, you'll give him everything. If you see Jesus rightly, you'll want to deny yourself and pick up that cross every day and follow him. If you see Jesus rightly when you're tired and your alarm goes off and that alarm was to wake you up so that you spend a couple hours or an hour alone with the Lord and you're tired and you're like, no, I want to sleep. I'm going to, I'm going to snooze that thing. Then you say, no, not me. I'm getting up. It's about him. If you see him rightly, you prioritize his presence and value his presence above all else. And Jesus is still asking us the same question today. Who do you say that I am? There is no bigger question that you can answer with your life than what do you say of the man Christ Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he just another man? Or as the world describes him, is he just a teacher? philosopher, a good man who did good things, but he died. I'm telling you, this Jesus, he split history in half. I don't know about you and some ridiculous history professor out there who doesn't know God and is an atheist, but the BC is before Christ and the AD is after his death. Only Jesus can come and split time. Why? Because he was before time. Why? Because he's eternal. He's the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. He is the only one. He is God in human form, in human flesh. And I hear the world asking us as the church the same question. What's the big deal about Jesus? Who's this Jesus to you? 
I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to go over this quickly. In, in the song of, book of Song of Solomon, in chapter 5, there's this woman, this bride-to-be, who's to be married, and there's this bridegroom. The woman represents us, the church. The bridegroom represents Jesus. And there's a group of people who ask her this question. How is your beloved, how is your bridegroom better than others? Most beautiful of women. How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? And this is her answer. My beloved is radiant and ruddy. Most outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. Verse 16, his mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. What is she saying here about Jesus? And I feel, I felt in my heart that I needed to speak to you a little bit about who this Jesus is so that you would be captivated by him, so that you'd be consumed by him. Do you understand that the beauty of Jesus is not because he's like some super attractive, good looking guy. The Bible actually says there was nothing about his natural appearance that would draw people to him. But no, there was, the beauty of Jesus is this magnetism of his person, of who he is that captivates you, that I'm telling you, if you see him for who he is, you will be captivated forever and you will never want to deviate. You will never want to move away. You'll never want anything else but him when you've actually experienced him and tasted and seen how good he is. This is who our Jesus is. And she, she begins to describe him basically as he is the one of incomparable perfections and unparalleled worth. He has everything in him that is lovely. This is who he is. She describes him as radiant and ruddy. Radiant is like white, like the brightest light there is. Jesus is the light of the world. Ruddy means red. The white and the red parallel his spotless innocence because he's the spotless lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the earth, who took our place on the cross. He died for us and he died as us because he was the only one who was perfect to be able to take our place. The ruddy, the red speaks of his blood that was shed as the sufferer for us, as the mediator for our our sins so that we could come before the Lord and know God and we could be forgiven. This is what he is. In Matthew 17, Jesus is on a mountain and it says that he was transfigured before them. His clothes shone like as white as you could ever bleach them. His face shone like the sun. The white the, the radiance speaks of his glory. His face is the glory of God, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. His face is the holy place of God. When she says he's the most outstanding among 10,000, she's saying he's the standard bearer above all else. That he's better than anything else. You might say 10,000 what? 10,000 whatever you want to call it. As Eric Gilmore says, he's, he's better than 10,000 shepherds because he's the good shepherd. 10,000 kings will bow their knee before the king of kings. This is who he is. He's the most outstanding. She says his head is purest gold. Speaks of his divinity. He is God. The head of the church is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. He is our treasure. In Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Stop searching YouTube and Google and all these textbooks to find wisdom and knowledge. And open up this book, who is the word of life, who is Jesus, and pour out your heart to him and receive from him all the wisdom that you would need. Jesus is the treasure in the field that when you find him and you experience him, you sell everything because in him you have all that you want and need. She says, his, she, she describes his hair. This speaks of his humanity. He is the glory of God in a man. She later goes on to talk about his body is made of ivory. At that time, the throne of Solomon was built and made of ivory. This speaks of the ruling of his person, the ruling of Christ. She's basically saying, he rules me so well. She describes his lips 
and what comes out of his lips. It's so important that we never separate the word of God from his lips. This is what the Pharisees did. They separated the text of the word from the mouth of God. They forgot that there was a person who spoke those words and it all became religion. This is how they could stand looking at the face of Jesus and miss it. We must never forget that though he spoke these words and these words are printed for us, he's still speaking today. And then she has that summary statement in verse 16 where she says, he's all together lovely. What does that mean? It means he is desirable in every way. He is everything that you could ever desire, everything you could ever want, everything you could ever need is all found in Jesus. That our heart's cry would be simply this, Jesus, you are here. What more could I want? If I have you, I have everything. That we would be a church that doesn't lose the simplicity of Christ. And I'm not saying this word to you, church, because we have. This is not a correctional word. This is a reminder. This is an exhortation to say, don't stop. Keep going. Go deeper. Don't, don't give up. Press in. I know things that you might go through might be challenging and difficult and hard. But don't stop. Go deeper. Press in. Put the cross at the center of your heart, at the center of your life, and say, I'm going after more. May we be a place, may we be a people that's known in heaven and on earth as a place that really loves Jesus. Where Jesus will say, those people love me. May we be a place, may we be a people that allow the Lord to be comfortable to be himself here. Where he can express himself, he can express his feelings and be allowed to do whatever he wants here. That he can be allowed to do whatever he wants in your life. Would you please stand with me? If I could have the worship team come join me on the stage. If you're here this morning and you don't know this Jesus, that I'm speaking of. You don't know this one who's the most outstanding among all others. And you want to begin a relationship with him. And you want to know him. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe this is your first time here, but you don't know Jesus. I want to invite you to take a step to begin a journey of knowing him. And we would love to help you with that. So if you're here today and you could honestly say in your heart, you don't know Jesus. He's not your savior. He's not your Lord. He's not your leader that you're following. I want you to raise your hand. We would love to pray with you. Is there anybody here? Raise it high so I can see. going to do. We're going to partake of communion in just a moment. I, I apologize. I forgot to remind you of that before I started preaching. So I believe there's some ushers with, with them in a, in a bucket, the elements in a bucket. If you uh, forgot to grab yours as you came in to the sanctuary and you need one, there's ushers in the aisles that can give, give those to you. We're going to partake of the body and blood of Jesus this morning in a place of remembrance, in a place of thankfulness, but also in a place of Jesus, I'm coming to you and I want more of you. Just as you denied yourself, Jesus, and you said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done, and you laid down your life for us, and you gave everything on that cross, Jesus, I come to your table today and I say, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever you want to do in me, I surrender to you. And Lord Jesus, have your way in me and I lay myself before you and I choose to pick up my cross and follow you. God, all I want is more of you. This is what, where we're going and where we're at. 
and coming to before the Lord today. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, it says this, He committed, speaking of Jesus, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. How was this? How, did he, how was He able to do this? Some of you receive persecution and mockery and, and are ridiculed in your workplace or with your family. And this is what Jesus went through. How was he able to not retaliate? He was dead to himself. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Today, some of you have been battling addictions. Some of you have been battling bad habits. Some of you are in bondage to sin. God wants to set you free today. He died so that you would die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the one that satisfies. He is the one that sustains. He is the one that strengthens. And when you're satisfied by him, you want nothing but him, but there will be a hunger that stirs inside of you for more of him. So take this bread with me. Jesus, we come to you today. And Lord, we we say thank you. And we honor you, God, and we celebrate your sacrifice. Lord, that you paid the price for us and as us on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that in your body you bore our sin. You became sin for us that that we would become the righteousness of God. We thank you, Jesus, that by your wounds, by your stripes, every 39 of them, Lord, by them we are healed. We remember that today, God. We thank you for that today. And Lord, we ask as we come to your table today, Lord, anyone here that needs to be set free from sin, Lord, that you would set them free. Anyone here, Lord God, that is struggling, oh Lord, with addictions, that you would break off every chain in Jesus' name. Everyone who is struggling with depression, you would break it off right now in Jesus' name. Every suicidal thought, we stop you, we silence you. Every lying spirit connected to suicide, you are bound and broken. We take authority over you in Jesus' name. You have to go. We speak life. Your life, Jesus. You are life itself. You're the bread of life. And we come to you. We partake of you. Lord, that we would never hunger for anything else of this world. God, that we would be satisfied in you. God, I ask that you would satisfy, you would strengthen, and you would sustain every person here in this place and every person watching online. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, take this bread and break it as his body was broken. And then you may partake of it. We thank you, Jesus. now take this cup. Jesus, we thank you for the cup of your grace, the cup of the new covenant. You are in a new covenant of your grace, not grace to sin and get away with it, not grace to do whatever we want because you'll forgive us. But God, your grace that empowers us, your grace that sustains us and empowers us to live free from sin, your grace that empowers us to live a life full of your Holy Spirit, to live like you in power. So Lord, I ask as we partake of this cup, Lord, that your power would come upon us. Lord Jesus, that God, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit and fire. Right now, church, just begin to say, I plead the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. Lord, we plead the blood for a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit and fire. Lord, your blood is what washes us. Your blood is what covers us. Your blood is what protects us. Oh, Lord, I ask, God, that you would come and be a covering for us again today. God, you'd be a washing for us today. God, that you would be our shelter, our refuge, our hiding place. And, Lord, God, that you would come and empower us with your Holy Spirit today. God, we thank you for your grace. 
We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, you might partake of the cup. We're going to worship here in a moment. But before we jump into this song, if you're here this morning and you would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and be able to receive the gift of tongues, we preached on the Holy Spirit a couple months ago. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. And Jesus is the great baptizer to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. And in that baptism, he will give us a gift of a prayer language to pray in an unknown tongue. And God wants to do this in us. Ushers, if we could, if we could pause this. Pa- pause, don't pick up the cups yet. Let's do this afterwards. Let's do this afterwards. They can just put them on the ground. If, if you are here and you want to receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit and you want your prayer language, I want you to come up to the front. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Don't let the devil lie to you. It's for you. It's for today. Anything that would tell you otherwise is from the pit of hell. He's a good father. And he only has good gifts for his sons and daughters. And the word says, I will not withhold the Holy Spirit from anyone that asks of him. Or anyone that asks for him. So if you're here this morning and you want to receive your prayer language, come to the front. We want to pray for you. Church, let's worship Jesus passionately. If I could have some ministry team workers come and stand in the front of them, come around to the front of them and begin to pray with them. But let's worship church with all that we have. He is worthy. He is good. He is holy. He paid the price for our sin. And we want to give him the worship and the glory that is due his name. So come on, church. Let's worship him with all that we have. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus.